If you're a Christian, the Bible says you're not only a child of God, but a joint heir with Jesus. Does that promise affect how you live here and now? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah unpacks what this eternal reward really means and how believers should respond as a result in their daily walk. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And thank you so much uh, for listening, and thank you for making this a priority in your life. If you have joined us today for the first time, maybe you've been away or your schedule has kept you from listening, we are studying the eighth chapter in the book of Romans, and um, we are in the 12th through the 17th verse. We're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, is a mysterious subject to many people. And interestingly enough, it may be the most important thing we can talk about as far as living the Christian life and having the power to do it, because we sure don't have it in our own strength. Unless the Spirit of God moves in and takes control of our lives, we will fall short of the goal. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that's our subject, and uh, we're going to finish our discussion about that in just a few moments. Uh, Let me remind you that uh, you can get all of the study material for this brief series uh, these verses from the 8th chapter of Romans. You can get that material from Turning Point. Uh, go to our website, and there you will see pictured the study guide for the book of Romans. And may I suggest to you that this is a great study for a group. If you're in a study group and you're looking for something that will just really get you into your deepest discussions about God and who He is and the Holy Spirit and how that works in your life, you should try to do this. You should get the study guides And if you're the facilitator of the group, you get the CDs, listen to each lesson, make sure everybody has a study guide, and then get together and talk about what the Bible says in the greatest chapter in the Bible. Listen to me. You have to deal with the things in your body, in your life that aren't godly in the same way that the Roman soldiers dealt with Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it means to crucify the flesh. They put nails in his hands and in his feet, and it was permanent. (laughs) How many of you know the things that are in our lives that shouldn't be in our lives don't naturally go away? You've got to confront them. You've got to deal with them. And the whole idea of crucifixion is to help us understand how brutal we need to be with the things that are in our life that ought not to be there. We're Christians. We're children of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and there are just certain things that we may allow ourselves to get into, and when we do that, it just destroys the peace and joy and the life that God wants us to know. And when we deal with those things, what will happen is God will bring back that sense of peace and joy and life that we once knew before all of these things started to reappear. I hope this is helpful to you because what I want you to know is this. You can know the joy of the Lord in your life as a Christian And when he identifies something in your life, and it may not be anything like a relationship, it might be some little simple thing. I mean, I'll tell you what, television can be one of those things. The internet can be one of those things. You all know there's a list of things that can get in your life and start messing up your relationship with God. Whatever they are, just be determined in your heart, I am not going to tolerate that. I'm going to prosecute it to the fullest extent and get it out of my life. The Holy Spirit reinforces us when we do that. When we take that responsibility, we sense him coming along 
to help us. Then the believer is ruled by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Verse 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, if you're a Christian, God gives you the Holy Spirit in your life. And I became a Christian a long time ago. I don't remember a lot of the early things about becoming a Christian. And I was sort of programmed to become a Christian because I was a preacher's kid. And I knew about Jesus since the time I was a little child. And so I kind of grew up. And when I was a teenager, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I didn't come from a sordid life of sin and all of that. I was a sinner, but I wasn't a notorious sinner. <laughs> but here's the deal. When you become a Christian, something really does change in your heart. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is like the automatic sin detector in your life? I've had people say, you know, I should do this stuff all the time. I never even thought about it. When I became a Christian, all of a sudden, and I've had people come and say, you know, Pastor Jeremiah, let me tell you what's happened, and they'll tell me all the stuff that's different about their life. And I think, I haven't even preached on that. Where did that come from? The blessed Holy Spirit began to work on them in their life. You know, the Holy Spirit can make you really uncomfortable if you're doing something you shouldn't do. He comes to be your guide. He comes to be your tutor, your teacher, your leader. And when the Holy Spirit is in your life, you have a whole new sense of direction. The Holy Spirit loves to take the Word of God and help you understand how that Word of God relates to your life. When you're reading the Scripture, you may have read it a hundred times over, but all of a sudden now you're a Christian and you really want to walk with God and you read it and all, it jumps off the page. I read the Focus Life, which is a little book that we created some years ago, which is where you read five Psalms every day and one chapter of Proverbs, and it's in a little book that we bound. And so if you do that, you can read the Psalms through and Proverbs through every month. And it's amazing to me how many times I've read through those chapters only to read something like I had never read it before. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit in your heart taking the hard drive of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is the software and he brings out of the hard drive the truth that leads and guides and directs you. The Holy Spirit leads. He leads in godliness, but he also leads in general. You know, sometimes we just are at a loss for what to do. And I've said to you before during COVID, I've said this more than ever before in my whole life and all the years I've lived. Here's my new mantra. I don't know what to do. Anybody saying that lately? I mean, every time you turn around, something new happens, something you didn't anticipate, something that never has happened before, and all of a sudden you have to respond to it. Here's what I've noticed. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life is more important than it has ever been because I have this inward witness in my heart that I'm either going in the right direction or not. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. How does he lead us? Here's one of the best paragraphs I've ever read about the Holy Spirit and how he leads I want you to listen to this very carefully because this will tell you what to expect from the Holy Spirit as he leads you in your life. Here's what it said. The Holy Spirit never coerces, never compels, never puts on the pressure, and never bullies. He does not drive. He leads. He leads. We follow. He leads us into all truth. He leads us in the path of righteousness. He leads us step by step. He leads gently, understandingly, unerringly. He leads us in our daily quiet time. He leads us by the godly counsel of spirit-taught men. He leads through the circumstances of life. He leads by gently witnessing with our spirit in the innermost recesses of our being. 
He leads by quickening our conscience. He leads by encouraging us or by restraining us, by assuring us or reproving us. He leads, but he never drives. He never gives us that now or never feeling or that do this or else urging. He leads and we follow one step at a time. The Holy Spirit is the gentle leader of the Christian. It's the gentle inward awareness that God is with you, that he is in you. And if you listen carefully to his sweet voice, he will take you where he wants you to go. If you're feeling that the Holy Spirit is some sort of Simon Legree in your life, you've got the wrong Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. That's one of his names. He's the encourager. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you to encourage you from the inside out to be the person God wants you to be. So now you're in the family of God. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're dealing with the things in your life that shouldn't be there. And God says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father. According to the 15th verse of chapter 8, we have been brought into the family of God through the process of adoption. The word for adoption in the Greek language is really interesting. It means to place a son. It means to take somebody who's not a son and make him a son. Somebody who's not in the family and put him in the family. Somebody who might not be in any family, like Mrs. Doherty did with little Kristen. She took that child and put her in her family. She adopted her and made her her own child, gave her her name, gave her all the privileges of being a part of that family. That's what God has done for us. He's adopted us into his family. How many of you know we don't have the right to be in God's family? We don't. Somebody had to do something for that. So God took us out of our whatever we were in. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become the children of God. The Bible says when you're adopted, you become God's child. Now, the other thing that happens here is also very interesting. When you get adopted, you get to call God by a new name. Because the Bible says that when you're adopted, God's name is Abba, Father. By whom we cry out, verse 15, Abba, Father. Let me talk to you just a minute about that. That's one of the most tender terms in the Bible. It actually means daddy. Or if it were a grandchild, it would be poppy. That's what my kids call me, my grandchildren, or papa. It was an ordinary family word in the days of Jesus. Abba was a common word. It conveyed intimacy, tenderness, dependence, complete lack of fear. Modern English equivalents are daddy or papa. In other words, an everyday infant could call their father daddy. Now, when we first start out, we call our dads daddy. Then we grow up out of that and we start calling them dad. But it's all the same term. Now, here's the interesting thing about this term, men and women. No Jewish person, no Old Testament person would have ever dreamed of using this very intimate term to address God. Jesus always used this word in prayer to his Father, except when he was on the cross. When you become a part of God's forever family, when you're adopted into his family, you end up gaining a relationship with God that gets away from all of this. God is so far away. Now God becomes so dear to you. You call him Abba Father. You refer to him in an intimate term that's reserved only for people who are in the family. If you're not a Christian, you don't get to do that. In fact, it's the very term that Jesus used to teach us to pray. How are we supposed to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Same terminology. I got to tell you something. When we are afraid, when we're filled with terror, that's when we cry out, Abba, Father. He hears us when we're at our lowest point. I can't think of anything more wonderful and glorious than to know that your heavenly Father cares about you. When you cry out to him, Abba, Father, he hears you. And then, here's the fifth thing about the Holy Spirit in this chapter. The Holy Spirit reassures the believer. He comes to reassure you. Here's a verse of Scripture that I have, to be honest with you, I've misunderstood this passage of Scripture my whole adult life, and I finally got it right. I'm not perfect. I try to be as accurate as I can, but I never realized the impact of this verse. Here's what the verse says. The Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, here's how that was normally understood. Somebody comes and says, are you a Christian? Yes. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, let me tell you how I know I'm a Christian. The Spirit of God witnesses with my spirit that I'm a Christian. That's how I know I'm a Christian. Now, that may be true, but that's not what this verse means. This verse does not mean that there's an emotional sort of a mysterious way that if you're a Christian, God witnesses by his spirit with your spirit that you're a Christian. That's not what it means. I've always thought that this verse meant that God's spirit gave testimony to my spirit that I was a Christian. In other words, it was like an inward sort of confidence that I belong to the Lord. And there's a sense maybe where this is true, but let me tell you what it really means if you dig into it. Paul is not saying that the Holy Spirit bears witness to my spirit that I am a child of God, but rather that the Holy Spirit witnesses with my spirit that I am a child of God. In other words, at the same time that I am praying and calling God my Father from within my spirit, the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing from within me so that there are two who call God Father every time I pray. The Holy Spirit and my spirit, it's a dual evidence of my sonship. When I call God Father, the Holy Spirit is witnessing right alongside me. He's saying, yes, yes, David Jeremiah is your son, (laughs) Father. He's yours. He belongs to you. In Romans 8.15, it is my spirit that is calling the Father Abba. But in Galatians 4.6, it's the Holy Spirit that's calling the Father Abba. Listen to me. What this means is that my sonship doesn't rest for affirmation upon my spirit alone with all of its ups and downs. My sonship rests upon the authority and affirmation of the unchanging testimony of the Holy Spirit of God who lives within me. I am not a son of God just because I say I am. I'm a son of God because I say that I am. And the Holy Spirit who lives within me, he's saying the same thing. And the two of us are in agreement. David Jeremiah is a son of Abba Father, the living God. If you're a Christian, whenever you think that maybe something's happened and you're not a Christian anymore, just remember it's not about you. You can say you are or you're not, but the Holy Spirit who came to live within you when you became a Christian, he is constantly affirming within you that you belong to the Father that you are his child. And in these days with so much uncertainty all around, friends, we need the assurance that we belong to God, that he is with us, that he is our father, that he cares about us beyond anything we could ever imagine. Here's number six, the believers rewarded by the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified with him. In this verse, the Bible tells us that in the future, because we're in God's family, certain things are true. 
First of all, we're God's children. If you're in the family, he's Abba Father. Who are we? We're the children of God. John 1.12 says, Many has received him. To them he gave the right to become, what? The children of God. 1 John 3.1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The most wonderful thing of all is not that my sins have been forgiven, nor that I may enjoy certain experiences and blessing as a Christian. The thing that should astound me is that I am a child of God. (laughs) I'm a child of God. Not only are we children, the Bible says here in this verse that we're heirs. We're heirs of God. An heir is one who has not yet received his inheritance, but is anticipating it. 1 Peter 1, 4 says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now watch this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. One of these days, we're going to inherit eternity. We're going to be with the Lord forever. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be heirs with God. But here's the most important term in this verse. We're not just children. We're not just heirs. We are Joint heirs. That's what it says. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, let me explain to you what it means because it's one of the best truths in the whole passage. If a man dies, leaving a large farm to four heirs, the estate is divided evenly and each heir receives 25% of the whole. But if a man leaves a farm to four of his sons as joint heirs, then each son owns the whole farm. Each one can say, this house is mine, those barns are mine, those fields are mine. When the Lord tells us that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, what he is saying is that God the Father has given to the Lord Jesus Christ his inheritance and everything he gave to the Lord Jesus Christ he gives to us. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything God gives to Jesus he gives to us. We're not just a fourth of what he got, not a half of what he got, because we're joint heirs We own the whole farm. (laughs) Wow. I'm a joint heir of Jesus Christ. When I read what God says about Jesus Christ concerning the future, it's true of me. Why is that? Because I'm a joint heir. So those are all the things we have. And you know, one of the things that's so much fun for me as I teach the Scripture, especially in an epistle like this, is it's just an incredible reminder to us of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be in the family of God, all that God has done for us, all the blessings we have. And what I realized more than ever before is that sometimes we don't enjoy those blessings, either because we don't know what they are, we've never discovered them, or we just have a laziness about us that doesn't want to explore it. And in the process of doing that, we miss out on the provision of God. I've got to tell you a story as we close today. Several years ago, when our son Daniel was finishing his first year in college in Louisiana, Don and I had taken a trip out of the country And because this was a very difficult experience for Daniel, and therefore for us as well, we were trying to keep in touch with him any way that we could while we were gone. When I talked with him on our first night out, I asked him what his money situation was like. I said, we're going to be gone for 10 days, and I want to make sure you're not broke. He said, Dad, I just have a few dollars left, and I'll be totally zeroed out in a couple of days. I thought that I would be able to wire him some money or send him some money from one of the ports we visited. But I discovered back then how hard it was to do that. And when you're out of the U.S., I didn't know how to go about it, so I was really concerned. 
Each night I would talk to Daniel and ask him how he was doing, and every night the stories got worse. He had a Texaco credit card that we left him for his truck, and he was going to the Texaco gas station every morning and buying food from the food mart for breakfast. I finally discovered that's part of the Jeremiah DNA, because all of our kids found that, that you could do that. Take a credit card, go to the gas station, don't get gas, get gas for your own system, you know. One of his friends came over to borrow a movie from him, and Daniel said that he would lend him the movie if his friend would take him out for ice cream. He said, Dad, I'm desperate. Well, I thought about that. I was really worried about it, trying to figure out what to do. I realized that Daniel was scrounging around for pennies and quarters he had saved, and it reminded me of what it was like for Don and I when we went to seminary. All of us have stories like that in our background if we started the way we did. All I could think about was my poor son. I was so worried. And about halfway through our time away, I casually mentioned to Donna that I was really worried about Daniel's money situation because I couldn't find a way to get any money to him. And she looked at me as a matter of fact and said, Well, David, I put $100 in his account just before we left. Somehow I didn't know that. And more importantly, Daniel didn't know that. And for a whole week, he was scrounging around trying to get along on pennies when he had $100 in the bank, and all he had to do was go to the ATM and withdraw it. I wonder how many of us are scrounging around on spiritual pennies when we're sons and heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Don't have to do that anymore. I just told you, you have got money in the bank. And that money is not funny money. It's real money, the money that's involved in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done for you is so amazing. So let me ask you, are you going to live like you are an heir, or are you going to scrounge around the rest of your life just trying to get by as a Christian? You know what I hear from some Christians? Listen to me. I try to live as close to the edge as I can without going over the edge. And what they mean by that is live as carnally as you can as a Christian. Just don't step over the edge and do something that will ruin your life. You should be trying to live exactly the opposite way. Live so close to Jesus, you're not even tempted for some of this stuff. Don't live like you don't have any inheritance because you have the inheritance that is the same as that which was given to Jesus Christ. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Let's commit ourselves as we go forward this week that we're going to live like that. We're going to live according to our privilege. We're going to be children of God, and we're going to be proud to be children of God, and we're going to live like children of God. Amen? Hmm. Isn't it interesting how fascinated we can get about the distant future and how lazy we can get about the immediate future? And the Bible teaches us that if we walk in the Spirit, that walk will take us where God wants us to go. So I think sometimes rather than getting uh, so enamored over what does God want me to do a year from now or what is his career plan for my life, we should maybe spend a little more time asking God what he wants us to do today to serve him. I've learned that from reading about many of the great masters, many of the great teachers. They seem to always say the same thing. If you walk with him day by day, you'll always end up where he wants you to be. Well, um, tomorrow we're going to talk about the groaning and the glory. The groaning is about how our world seems kind of out of sync. And even as Christians, we know things aren't quite the way they should be. The Bible says we groan about that, looking forward to the day when the Lord God will come and put everything right. 
We're going to talk about that tomorrow and Thursday, and I hope you'll join us for these discussions. The um, opportunity that we have every year to get away for a few days is uh, so meaningful to me and to our family, to the people that we work with. We try to set these up so that they come at a time when we would need to be away and rest. Is there a better time than right after Christmas? So we're going to the Caribbean this year, December the 30th through January the 8th. Our Caribbean Cruise Conference will take us to some beautiful ports of call, most of all to the warm weather and to the blue Caribbean. Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, all of us from the Turning Point team will be there, and we're going to share some wonderful days together. Days at sea, days in port, days just enjoying one another. So... Go to our website, get all the details, get registered, plan to join us. Let's spend New Year's together this year, okay? The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is making a difference in your life, let us know. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Romans, the written word journal, designed by David to help you know God's word more deeply. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions available in your choice of handsome cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Romans 8 here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Are you looking for an effective tool for studying the scriptures? Dr. David Jeremiah has created an incredible new resource to help you do just that. The Bible tells us again and again to write down God's Word, and it's a practice that has personally transformed my study of scripture. That is why I have created the first, the Written Word Journal, so that you can join me in this powerful practice. I promise you, as you follow God's command to copy Scripture by hand, your study of God's Word will be stronger than ever. Here's more. This journal helps you create your own copy of Paul's letter to the Romans. On one side, you'll write selections from Romans word for word. On the other side, you'll record your thoughts, reflections, and prayers. When you donate any amount to support Turning Point, the written word journal is yours. If you give $60 or more, you'll receive the Romans 8 set, including this teaching series on CD or DVD and study guide. Order the book or the complete set at davidjeremiah.ca. The nine traits listed by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, traits he called the fruit of the Spirit, are supernatural. It is not natural for us to feel loving, patient, or gentle. Those traits only become ours when the Holy Spirit enables them in us. 
When we find ourselves feeling impatient or losing self-control, that should be a signal. It's time to ask the Holy Spirit to help us demonstrate Christ's patience and self-control in our lives. We should not feel bad that we need God's help in those moments. We should rejoice that He has provided the gifts we need by His Spirit. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the fruit of God's Spirit on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.